Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I'm joined as I am always joined by the memorable, motivated, and uh, a little bit tired, maybe melted, Mad Wizard Merwin? Slightly on the melted side, thanks to uh, Game Hole Con and Daylight Savings Time ending and, um, and being in Central Time and then now here. Yeah, you were also at a con before that, too, weren't you? In, yeah, two weeks before that, I was in Orlando, so, yeah. So... It, yeah, it's just con after con after con after con for you, huh? I'm I'm I need to catch up on some sleep, but I have just enough in me, Chris, just enough in me to get through the podcast tonight. So we can talk about devilish old ladies and imps then? I think that is a perfect topic for uh for me tonight. Per- perfect. Yeah. But before we get to that, let's do a few announcements. So mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast acquires to K games. Took. I have no idea. Took. Like an actual Took. Yeah. Okay. Because they're Canadian. So Took Games. Yeah. Well, that makes, that makes sense. So who's Took Games? So Took Games is a digital game development studio based in Montreal, led by veterans in the game industry, uh, with experience working with some leading providers. So Wizards of the Coast now has two uh, game development outfits under their belt. They have the one that they just created in Austin, Texas, and uh, this one here. Uh, Toot Games has been around since 2012, and they have over 55 full-time employees. And with this new acquisition, they are going to be focusing on digital games based on Dungeons & Dragons. That's really fascinating. It is. I think Wizards is going all in on video games. Well, it's smart, right? Like That's a, that's a way to make some amount of money. It is a way to make a good amount of money on a brand that is doing the, as well as it ever has. So, yes, I think they are probably doing the smart thing. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see because um, their, their one game that they have, Live Lock, it looks like sort of an action shooter type game. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious as to see how they uh, maybe use some of those ideas in a D&D game or some sort of clone of that that uh system that they have that that game engine that they have for that yeah i mean to, uh, to make a dnd game that would make sense they could always have been working on something else and wizards found out about it yeah it's it but it would make more sense that that that's the direction they're going to go in it's true but who knows um it, it's also smart because if you're going to make video games uh they'd have really long development cycles also true so having more than one studio working on them makes sense if you want to release games at a reasonable clip mm-hmm uh, I I forget who's making the Baldur's Gate three game. Uh, that's um, the people that made it are the similar to the people who are heading the Austin Watsi um, studio. I think. Uh, well, Larian Studios. Okay. That's who. That's who. That's who's making Baldur's Gate three. They're the people who made Divinity: Original Sin, right, which is right. a, a pretty well-regarded video game. Right. It was the people so. who made the previous Baldur's Gate who they tapped, I think, to to run the studio in Austin. That makes perfect sense. Totally sure. But all right. Another. I mean, just in terms of you know news, more video games. Yeah, I mean, to me, that seems to make sense. I mean, D&D is a brand on the rise, yep. and uh, this is a, a a good way to go if you want to broaden the brand. Mm-hmm. For sure. So we we'll probably see some AAA games coming. I mean, Baldur's Gate 3 is a AAA title in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Issue 28 of Dragon Plus is out. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they got some the highlights. We're just going to skim them quickly. If you're interested in what's going to be in the Eberron uh, hardcover, Rising from the Last War, there is a chapter by chapter breakdown. Um, the, speaking of video games, Warriors of Waterdeep, uh, Dragon Plus gives some highlights from that game. There, uh, are, I play that. I play that game. Do you? Yeah. Do you like it? It's okay. It's alright. Okay. Um, it's D and D. That's fun enough. Yeah, D and D. I'll take it. Uh, two new creature features, uh, the Thessalar and the Neo Atiog. 
Uh, there's a look at the alchemist class in D and D over time. There is another um, best of the DMs guild. This one focusing on products that support extra life. So if you are interested in donating to Extra Life and buying some games at the same time, you can check that out. And there's, as always, much, much more um, in that, in this new issue. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. More interesting is the even larger Unearthed Arcana article that was released that we're not going to talk about today. Oh, boy. It seems like every time we're like, okay, now we're going to dig into this you know, adventure book and then another uh, UA article comes out. Well, this one's huge. This one's the ones we've been looking at are, you know, four or five pages. Uh, this one's pretty big. We could spend many episodes going through it and, and maybe we will at some point. But let's get into Avernus first. Oh, yes, absolutely. But it's uh, about class variants, right? Yep. Uh, there are features that replace or enhance normal features of, of a character class. So uh, they specify a feature and what it replaces. Um, and there's a table that shows what you can get. Um, so if a feature is replaced, you gain no benefit from it and don't qualify, qualify for anything in the game that requires it if you use this new um, feature. Sometimes the feature will replace something. Sometimes it will enhance it. Um, ba- like the Rogue has one where using your cunning action, you can now do all the things you could before, like hide, um, you know, move, um, what do you call it when you move away from something? Disengage. Disengage, thank you. Uh, you can do those things. And now you can also aim. So basically you're using your bonus action to give yourself advantage on the, your next attack that round. If you use that, though, you can't move either before or after um, you you use it. So, you know, it's a little bit different twist on things. That's just one example of the many, many uh, class variants that are in this document. So I wonder. I can't wait to read that. Like I've I've uh, read some reviews of it already. By the way, if you're uh, jonesing for some information about that, you don't feel like reading the whole UA article or some thoughts about that. Uh, Jared Rasher from Gnome Stew, mm-hmm. he wrote a pretty interesting. Um, and I wouldn't call it a review, but uh, uh, like his commentary on it. Yeah. He's pretty smart about a lot of that stuff. So he is uh, an analysis. You would say, right? Yes. I don't even know if I would call it an analysis. It was really just sort of his thoughts about it. I guess it's a bit of an analysis, but Mm -hmm. I feel like he'll do something more in depth later. Yeah. And, you know, probably I will, too, either on the show or somewhere. I've I've been holding off on reading other people's opinions because I prefer to make my own. So, Mm -hmm. But it's out there. So please grab it and read it. And I'm sure pretty soon there will be a survey up for it. Uh. The last thing before we get to our topic for the evening, uh, Sean Merwin wrote an article in D&D Beyond called Let's Design an Adventure Box Text. It's the next issue installment of his Let's Design an Adventure series on D&D Beyond, and it's all about box text. I've heard of which, him. <laughs> I've heard of that guy, too. He's yeah. okay. He's all right. Uh, it's a interesting read. It actually covers a lot of the same ideas that we talked about when we talked about designing an adventure in box text. Yes. So. Yep. Um, for for those of you who listen to the show, you know all of the things I'm talking about, uh, we've touched on in some way on the on the show, or I've touched on it via the blog. So all I'm doing in these articles is really putting all of this information together that I've had out there in various places, uh, helping myself liberally from Chris's also, uh, Chris's view of things uh, that we talked about, and just trying to get it down to about you know 2500 words uh into a nice article that's hopefully which, entertaining and informative which means that it's like uh it's like boiled down it's the edited version yep. so it's the quicker get get what you need out of it version sure although you could listen to us and laugh you know oh, either way yeah or you know don't even listen to us just just look at us and laugh that's also true. That works. I, I tend to look at the mirror and laugh a lot. Yep. But that is, right. <laughs> that, is, that is available up on D&D Beyond. Um, if you go there, there's a whole little section of Let's Design an Adventure. And so now you can read the first four. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. Let's get into it. We're going to go back uh, and descend into Avernus mm-hmm. a little bit. But we're not there yet. We're still in Baldur's Gate. Yep. We're, we're descending into Baldur's Gate very slowly. We are going to spoil the ever-living love out of this, Mm -hmm. so if you don't want spoilers, stop listening. Yep. Thanks for listening, and uh, here we go. Yeah, we'll catch you later. So this is part three. Um, We're still in A Tale of Two Cities, that section of the book. 
we're going to talk mostly about the um the the vamp Vanthamper villa mm-hmm. and under the villa yep. and some of the final encounters in Baldur's Gate tonight. There you go. Or today or whenever you're listening to this. It's tonight for us, but you know, mm-hmm. podcast time is weird. Yeah. All right, so let's recap real real quick. So there's problems in Baldur's Gate. There's the Flaming Fist is leaderless. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of murders by the Dead Three cult, which should be solved by this point. You would hope. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of refugees in the city from Elterguard. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a bunch of fear going on that Baldur's Gate's going to be the next city to suffer Elterel's fate, which is it's just going to vanish, just disappear. Mm-hmm. Be dragged down into the depths. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the Elf Song Tavern. We talked about the Dungeon of the Three. Mm-hmm. Did we not talk about the Low Lantern yet? We have not talked about the Lantern yet. Wow. I guess we're talking about that tonight, too. I didn't even realize that we hadn't. It's been a while since we've recorded everybody. That's so. true. And when we did, we were recording UA stuff. So Yeah, so go. it's been even longer. Yep. So there's a nice little thing. Um. The, the next steps after the uh, the Dungeon of the Dead Three, there's Mortlock, mm-hmm. who is the son, the youngest son, who's kind of a, a brute and not very attractive, kind of a, a I don't want to say mongrel. It's not really the right word, is it, Sean? It's just yeah. he's disfigured a little bit, right? Right. He he's, suffers from, like, giantism, and he yeah. looks more like an ogre than a person, kind of, mm-hmm. you know. So, he, but this is the person who has the information to move the adventurer along. Mm-hmm. That's important. And he wants to guide the PCs to the Low Lantern to go after his brother, Amric, since he's pretty sure that uh, Amric wants Mortlock dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, if the player characters want, they can just go to the Vantham per villa. True. They could. Yep. It's not recommended, but they could do that. Right. The They have all the information they need to go directly there, because Mortlock basically tells them, you know, I was told to do this sort of cult thing by my family, and now, then they tried to backstab me. So let's go take care of my family. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, going to the lantern, the low lantern, uh, it gives you a little bit of uh, information about the Dead Three. Mm-hmm. And there's encounters that you can have with the Dead Three. They're nice. They're just a set of bad guys that are put together for levels three, four, and five. And then you can have them come after the PCs, uh, looking for a little bit of payback. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a nice little section in the book. And then we have the Low Lantern. So it's a ship. It's got a captain. The captain is Larella Thundrith, mm-hmm. and she has a crab familiar, which is pretty fun. But it's more than just a ship, Chris. It's a bar, isn't it? it if is. I remember correctly, it is. Yes. It, it is a non-functional ship that has been turned into a bar. Mm-hmm. And they call her the captain, but she's really just the proprietor of this this location. Very true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, Chris notes in our in our uh, show notes here that there's a lot written about the Low Lantern, but really all of this can be summed up to the one encounter because you're going there to deal with with Amric, yep, uh, Mortlock's brother, and mm-hmm. so. When I counted it out in the hardcover, there are basically four full pages in the book for for this one encounter, um, and that's okay. If if this was a four hour adventure that was you know that was supposed to be run in just one night, then using four pages to sum sum up what really should be just one encounter would be a waste of space. But in a book of this size, which is not just an adventure, but sort of a gazetteer for Baldur's Gate, then I think it's cool because DMs might be able to do different stuff with it. They might use some of these details that are given on these four pages to do some new and different things. So I am A-OK with that. Mm-hmm. So really this all boils down to talking to Amrick, and Amrick has a couple of bodyguards. Mm-hmm. A spined devil and a thug mm-hmm. with him. The thug is not all that dangerous, but the spined devil is. And the characters are level three right now, if I remember correctly. Um, I believe so, yes. Yes, they are level three. Or they're supposed to be level three. Yep. Um, and it's just a conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're trying to... It could lead into a fight. Um, it might lead into a fight if you're trying to snatch Amrick. I mean, there's a bunch of ways it could go, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Amric, he has, he doesn't know what the player characters are here for. He's trying to figure out what they're up to. Mm-hmm. 
while they're trying to figure out him in some way, shape, or form. So to me, it's it's a fascinating encounter because for once, like someone's coming up on an NPC that doesn't know what's up and is interested in figuring out what their agenda is. Right. And he doesn't really even have much information that the characters are going to need, which is why this encounter can be skipped completely. Um, but it is interesting, and there are some cool things that you can do with it. Mm-hmm. I like um, his – so Amrick's got a smoke bomb ability that he's once per day, which is the, the ninja smoke bomb. Like he can throw a smoke bomb and then try to run away. Right. Which he will do, especially if he gets attacked. Yes. And what I would do with this is um, I would make it – so if you really are the, – the whole reason the PCs probably come here if they do – is because uh, Mortlock says, well, if you want some leverage with my mother, my brother Amrick is her favorite. So if you go kidnap him, then she might deal with you. Um, you might have the upper hand. Uh-huh. And so to to raise the stakes on that a little bit, uh, you, they could just march in, and it's not a terribly difficult combat. Um. Yeah, the, yeah, spine devil is tough. The thug, not so much. But if it's just if you if you've just gone up a level, you've got a long rest. Just just one combat is not too difficult, and there's no one will help them. None of the staff of the low lantern. Uh, it says right in the text will mm-hmm. will get in the way. So, if I were running this and that was what the characters were going to be doing, um, I would. Up the force that was protecting Emmerich to make it so it would be a super difficult fight and maybe tempt the players to try different tactics to either get to Emmerich or or kidnap him or get information out of him. Um, Up the role playing stakes a little bit uh, for the most part. Do you know um, if you if you use the encounter builder Mm -hmm. that they have on D&D Beyond? Mm hmm. Uh, Amric, the Spine Devil, mm-hmm. and a Thug mm-hmm. uh, makes that actually a deadly encounter, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, me. yeah, it's it, it is, but since it's only one, deadly is fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I'm saying make it you know obvious that there's no way they they could just break in and attack because they learn um, that Amric is basically a loan shark. Uh-huh. And there's this whole big part in the book about maybe the characters try to convince him that they want a loan. And maybe they even take out a loan. And so r- right now, as it's written, it seems a little bit disjointed. It's cool, but there's no there's no um, throughput. There's no thread that sort of makes sense that the characters would go in trying to do other than kidnap him. Yeah. I mean, I would think that maybe they would, uh, it depends on how you present it. Right. And and that's what I mean. I wish the adventure would present it in a way that the characters had either a specific goal or a range of goals and then give them the means which to do that. Well, here's what it uh, so in this adventure, thematically, mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about unity of effect, this is what it means to me. Like, Mortlock has has said, if you want leverage on my mother, maybe you just go grab my brother. Mm-hmm. So now we're making a moral choice. Like, are we going to resort to kidnapping somebody to use them as leverage against somebody else? Right. I, I think that's actually the through line of what's going on here, mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about what's actually going on here. Right. Uh, the encounter itself, I think it's fascinating because it's like, are we just going to walk in here and snatch this guy and kill the, kill the people protecting him? Mm-hmm. Because... Well, they're, I mean, it's still murder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, killing the thug is murder. Now, maybe that doesn't mean much to a bunch of people playing D&D, but they're in a city. Well, and that it, usually changes how things are, how things feel, but it is Baldur's it, Gate. It, right? Yeah, it doesn't mean much in Baldur's Gate. In Waterdeep, it means something, as we know from, you know, the last couple of books. Uh-huh. In, in, uh, in Baldur's Gate, not so much. And that's why I would, I would have loved to see it say, Morlock tells the characters, "Hey, if you if you're going to go after my mother, kidnap my brother. That will give you leverage. And even here's how. Or well, I'm, or, I'm also going to tell you. I mean, spoilers on, right? Like it actually doesn't give you leverage because she doesn't exactly. She doesn't. 
She doesn't care. Exactly. But the players have no way of knowing that. That's true, because Mortlock told them. Right. So it's, do we believe this person that maybe we shouldn't believe? Right. Or Mortlock could say, yeah, you can kidnap my brother for leverage. Or maybe just talk to my brother because my mother shares all of her plans with him. Yeah. Now, I think your second point is the way more interesting point yeah. for why this encounter would be interesting. Because if Mortlock mentions something about a shield yes. to the player characters and says uh, that her mother has a shield, but she doesn't, he doesn't know much about it, but Amrick would know all about it, yeah. that's different. Or, hey, this dude who used to rule El Terrell, yeah, I saw him in my mom's house. Uh-huh. Right. If if um, Amrick knew that, Amrick knew that, um, uh-huh. then... Then now you're getting information from him, which you can get through fighting or role play. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. So that's the whole thing with that. Yes. Uh, that that is the. It's not even really important, right? Like it's just a. What is the benefit? Ask yourself, what is the benefit for going there? Hopefully, we've given you some ideas for what the benefit for going there is, and some ways to facilitate that encounter. Yeah, and, um, but what's more important is that. Who they meet there, other than Amaric, is super important to the story. Very important. <laughs> so that's Rhea. Right. So Rhea is a uh, a Hell Rider in training. Mm-hmm. So Rhea is she. Uh, she wasn't in Elterguard when it vanished. She was out training. Mm-hmm. She led a bunch of refugees to Baldur's Gate. She got into a fight with the Flaming Fist right uh, uh, upon arriving in the city and has been a fugitive from justice ever since. Well, justice, I put in quotes. Yes, fugitive from the Flaming Fist. Uh-huh. Right. And she has also heard a rumor that uh, Thavis Krieg is in the city and might be with the Vanthampers. Yep. And she's the first decent person that you really meet in this whole entire thing. It's true. She... Actually has, you know, some sort of moral compass. And even though she tends a little bit toward that, um, you know, overwrought paladin-y moral goodness stuff, um, she she at least has some sort of moral compass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Sean, you have some really wonderful uh, things here that I completely and 100% agree with. Okay, yeah. I, I was reading this, um, you know, just I'm, I'm kind of reading it along as, as we talk about it. And so I was like, okay, here comes uh, Rhea Mantlemore, and let's see what she has to say. Oh, hey, look, she's wanted by the Flaming Fist for attacking one of them, and she's got all this cool information. This should have been put out ahead of time to give the the PCs a role-playing hook or an important choice here. Maybe when they're speaking with the commander who gave them the mission in the first place, he should say, oh, and by the way, if you see someone matching this description and give Rhea's description, she's wanted, and I'll give you a magic item if you can bring her in. Yeah, and that's uh, Zaj. Right, Zaj. And and then if you do that, she has all this great information. So so she's utile, right? She she's, can be utilized for um to make the adventure easier later for the characters and she will go with them and help them uh-huh. but you're also uh-huh. giving this choice of if i if we turn her in um we get something so you're you're making that that uh giving the characters an important choice yep also if you want to make her seem competent and useful too and do the characters a favor to begin with uh sh- when the inevitable fight that's going to break out with Amrick happens, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. When Amrick throws a smoke bomb and runs away, she can be the one that knocks him out and, and is like, is this who you're looking for? Yeah. Or just move her forward into the encounter at the Elfsong Tavern. That too. Uh, yeah. Those are all, that's another way to, to utilize her. Yeah. So, you know, don't, unless you want to, don't wait that long to introduce her. Have Have her be more important both as an NPC, but also as a tool for role playing in your adventure, a a way to give the, the the characters and the players an important choice. Yes, absolutely, and also introduce her earlier. Yep. So this all leads to the Vanthampur Villa, so their their estate. So l- let me just go over the important parts of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So the PCs need to get their hands on the puzzle box. Yep. And then they need to know to take this puzzle box to Candlekeep in uh, uh, to Candlekeep and to a uh, Silvira. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they 
they need to take possession of the hidden shield of the Lord? I didn't the, know that that was like. Yeah. A, I think you like you need one or the other, right? Yeah, it's it's another important aspect of this this shield of the hidden Lord. Um, so they don't necessarily need to take possession of it, but it's an important part of the narrative. It's way better if they do have it. I'll tell you that much. Right, and it has its own motivations that come into play later. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they take it to Avernus with them, it can become very, very interesting. It is definitely a uh, a wild card mm-hmm. in all of this. The Shield of the Hidden Lord. Yeah. If you ever uh, looked at like some some narrative structure and things like that about characters, like there's a character that is sometimes put out there that is called the wild card. Like they mm-hmm. don't have much to do with anything for a while, but they can come into play a lot later. Yep. Uh, and you never know how they're going to go because they don't have the same. They're not like their allegiances are sort of uh, slightly outside of the main story. Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 I don't want don't want to say the cool thing. The important thing to remember: this puzzle box, the shield of the hidden lord, all of these things. Um, they're not explicitly called out early. No, um, it, there's a good chance that if your party doesn't take the right turn, if they don't ask the right question. They may not know anything about any of these things and may need a little nudge to to learn about them. Yeah, which is why I'm saying, like, these are the important parts, exactly. right? Like, yep. they need to get their hands on the puzzle box. They need to know to take the puzzle box to Candlekeep to Silvira. Yeah. And they uh, ho- hopefully will get their hands on the shield of the Hidden Lord. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's work through this. Okay. So, Thelamara Vanthampur, who has been the villain of this first act, mm-hmm. very much so. Uh, I actually like this villain. It's kind of a likable villain because this is uh, built themselves up from nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they became a minister in the sewers and waterworks. And uh, they have the Black Widow thing going on with three dead husbands. I mean, this is a woman who uh, took her power. Now, I don't necessarily agree with what she's done with, with her power. Right. But uh, damn, girl, she went and got hers. Yeah, I wouldn't say likable, but I would definitely say strong. I would definitely say remarkable. Yes, um, remarkable is probably right. Like she's not a she's not a good person. No, and, but I like I like villains who are competent. Right, and she would be one of those villains that you would want to get away. Right. Yes. Be, be defeated, but somehow get away and come back later. That's okay. That'll happen. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's totally gonna happen. Yeah. But no. <laughs> guess no. what? You're gonna go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> As you say, the story. So uh, they're all gonna. They're all gonna. Yeah, they're all gonna show up in hell. (laughs) This is true, and her story is very rich, and you don't want to waste that. Yes. Yep. Uh huh. And you don't have to. You know what the best thing about the fact that they're going to go to hell is that all the people that they kill up here, they're gonna run into again. Exactly. Just keep a list because they can all be there. Yes. So, uh, slobber chops. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a winged is it was winged cat a tressum a tressum yeah and you can make friends with yeah you can make friends with this tressum because this tressum is kind of miserable but if you just feed it some food it'll it'll like you and that that could be very useful because there's a bunch of invisible imps running around this place mm-hmm. that all belong to thirstwell especially on the upper floors and that is a really annoying because they're all invisible yeah and uh, this this in, this part up here I think it's kind of tricky mm-hmm. like you have your your third level. But you're dealing with these imps that are invisible that'll just dive bomb you from invisibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a a thing to think about. A lot of the encounter. Well, we'll talk about some of the rooms in a second. But I'm just yeah. kind of giving that overview. Yeah, imps. Um, imps can be a pain in the butt to run uh, with that invisibility, right? Because they can attack and become invisible, but then they can fly away and turn invisible, and then just keep you know doing that. And it it can be if you run it that way, it can be a very slow painful sort of encounter or series of encounters and there are a lot of imps here not just starting here but starting back at the low lantern but, right? well they, they can't attack and become invisible they, they can attack or become invisible no, that, that, that's what i said i mean they, they can be invisible when they attack mm-hmm. they become visible but then they can fly yep. away and become invisible again so they can use these hit and run tactics um you know, to a great degree where, you know, they attack and then they might not come back for 10 minutes. Yeah, that's true. And they're dangerous because yes. they do. Um, if they hit you, they're doing it a minimum 10 damage. Mm-hmm. 
Five of it being uh, on average, right? right? Like, right. Because uh, the piercing, uh, they the, the average damage. I'm just using the average damages from the stat blocks. Yeah. So like, they'll do five regular and five poison if you if you save mm-hmm. the five poisons. If you save, it's ten. If you on average, if you don't save. Yeah, and yeah, and like we said, did we mention there are a lot of them? <laughs> yeah, there's like one room that's got four of them in it. Yeah. Like, that's that's not a small amount, and they're like immune to a, they're resistant and immune to a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. It makes them problematic and hard to deal with. Yes. Uh, the, the, these aren't easy encounters, but we've already established that there's this is not the, the friendliest of adventures mm-hmm. for adventurers. Yep. Um, there's a fun little heist thing that you can do at the beginning mm-hmm. and even later because uh, outside there's a bunch of guards. And you can memorize their guard patterns. You can memorize the number of gates. You can. Uh, there's a bunch of servants that have short descriptions, so you can, like inquire about them if you want mm-hmm. and there's even information for when the lanterns are lit and doused so sneaking into the place is legitimate right so it's yeah it's the whole leverage sort of thing right it's the whole get down the pattern come up with a plan and go yep and infiltrate although i uh there's one thing about this that 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 drives me crazy what's that there it says that the stealth check it's that each character needs to make the Ooh, stealth check yeah. to be seen yeah I mean, we have a rule that's called the group check, yep. and there's a reason that we have the rule. It's called the group check so that you don't have to do this. Right. Otherwise, you just may as well t- tell the person in heavy armor to make the check, and and then they will fail because they have disadvantage, and then it uh-huh. it's all blows up anyway. So, yeah. Yep. Group checks for the win. Group checks for the win. So I'm just throwing that one out there. Also, if I mean, you, what we just meant, what I just mentioned about the turning into like a heist situation, like you can expand um what is actually written in the book mm-hmm. from there like um and give bonuses uh lower the dc or give advantage uh to people on their group check for sneaking in and whatnot and like once they're inside too yep and how that all works like it, it, give little bits of information if you are going to do a full on heist scenario with this um you should introduce the imps before they get to the villa so they know that they're going to be there because since they're invisible they could be anywhere, and that makes it very tough. Um, mm-hmm. The one cool thing, though, is that slobber chops can see invisible creatures. So if yep. if you have him be outside um, and have the characters make friends with him early, then they can use that to as one of their weapons within the heist um, scenario. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really cool idea to have slobber chops outside early. Um, all right, so the first thing is there's the foyer. So uh, we're gonna we're not gonna hit everything. We'll just talk about some of them. Yep. There's invisible imps there. They're all like the uh, there's like four of them in the foyer, if I remember correctly. That's a lot of imps that are invisible. <laughs> yes. So if you don't want to just murder people and you want it to be kind of interesting and, and paranoid inducing, this is one of those times that you can play up the paranoia, right? right? Yep. Like you don't have to have the imp attack them you could have the imp knock a vase off the shelf mm-hmm. because there's a bunch of sh- uh vases and vases and things like that all all over the place like right. pieces of art and whatnot you can really mess with the player characters yep and rather than having the imps come out and show themselves that would then draw guards which the the characters would have to deal with rather than the imps mm-hmm. because of the guards from the inside would be like what was that or the guards from outside would be like what was that all about yep uh, but then there's the servants' quarters. So the players could go in here and throw on some disguises. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to help much since everybody know everybody knows everybody else in the manor. Mm-hmm. But it could at least give like a moment to throw people off, right? So like advantage on an initiative roll or things like that, right? Right. Or you know, the if they come up with a good enough lie, right? Oh, we're we're preparing for a party tomorrow, and the mistress has asked us to meet with her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, absolutely. Give them a you know it can be a tough check. But a good enough deception, and they've got at least a few more, um, you know, rounds, minutes, hours to do some exploration. You know, I I didn't do a very good job of setting up the the villa. So the villa is a first floor, a, a second floor, and then there's underneath the villa, which is where the sewers are. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll get to that. I just wanted to throw that out there because um, we're just talking about the first floor currently. Right, but, and also to add to that, there are thirty six rooms. In those three sub areas, right there, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 significant. It is significant. There's a lot of exploration to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so V nine is the dining room. I just wanted to point this out if you have this book, because I think this is a good 
way to present box text. Although you just wrote an article on that, but I wanted to, I wanted to hi highlight this specifically because there's more than one way into this room and it doesn't matter based on the box text because of the way the box text is presented. Mm -hmm. And even if you're looking at it from outside, just the way that the box text is presented, it's a, uh, it's pretty, um, entrance neutral. Yeah. And it's very short. It gives a great description of what's in the room with just mm -hmm. enough kind of adjectives, um, to make it a little bit interesting. And, yeah. and there you go. And there's three more invisible imps in there. Yes. Yes, there is. Just, just in case. Um, then there's the gallery. And the reason I highlighted this one was because it can create an interesting role-playing encounter and a moral choice, because this is a room that you run into servants in, mm -hmm. and all the servants are des described as being neutral commoners and they're just working. Like right. this is their job, right? Yep. Um, the Butler, you could consider them complicit because, uh, They've been here for a while. They've worked at this place for a while. Mm -hmm. But the maid is new and probably hasn't seen or heard anything awful. Right. Yep. In fact, her predecessor was murdered. Yes. Because her, her predecessor broke a vase and uh, Velma, the, uh, what's her name? The, uh, I would, the Duke. The Duke. Thank yes. you. We're just going to call her the Duke. Mm -hmm. The battle axe faced Duke, by the way. Man, that piece of art is terrifying. It's, it's awesome. Her. It's an awesome piece of art. <laughs> it is. Um, she murdered this poor maid because she broke a vase. Yep. Threw her down the stairs. Mm -hmm. So uh, then we'll talk about upstairs. So we'll talk about it kind of in one, mostly one, uh, one fell swoop. So mm -hmm. upstairs there are five guards. They're each guarding a door. Yep. Not the same door. But if they hear anything downstairs, they won't come downstairs because their job is to guard upstairs. But they won't be able to be surprised then. Yeah, and, and it's weird because it it says there there are five doors. You know, you walk up the stairs and there's kind of like a landing, a hallway with five doors leading off of it. It doesn't say whether they're inside or outside the, the five doors. I'm going to assume they're outside. I'm assuming they're outside and, in the hallway. And so it, you can't just attack one without being seen by the rest, basically. Yeah, it'll start a fight. Yeah. Uh, this is actually not a hard fight. No, it's not. They're all just uh, guards. They're uh, I think the CR on them is all one-eighth. Yeah. So this is like the easiest fight in the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, all right, so there, that's that's what's going on there for now. Now, th this is um, also up here is where Thirstwell Van Thampur is, the, the person, the spy master with the imps, mm -hmm. the annoying imps. Mm-hmm. And you can find him in his room, and uh, he'll he'll throw down. He, they actually say like his greeting to strangers is to hit them with sacred flame. Yes. So like once he hears a fight, he's ready to to go. As soon as that door gets open, you're getting sacred flamed. Yep. And if there are if there's um, sounds coming out from outside his door, he you could have him open the door, sacred flame, close the door, and then retreat. Yep. Uh, he will also, as soon as he's like in danger, cast sanctuary on himself, which is a pain in the butt because it's, you can't really get, attack somebody with sanctuary on them unless you pass that saving throw. Yep. Uh, I mean, you can hit him with. I, I mean, that's when you get clever, right? Like, can, can we hit somebody with uh, with area of effect spells, which you can. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that could also like. Well, we can't really hit him directly, but can we just like pick up the bed and flip it? Yep. <laughs> you know, things like that. Sure. So that could create some a fun a fun encounter if the uh, sanctuary is going on, right? Yeah, and I would just assume that he'd have some imps around him too. Well, he does have, in right. fact, that one imp around him. Yep. Yeah. So you know, deal with the imp. Also, really, I would have that imp just wait until the last person comes in because they'll probably be the squishiest, and then just murder mm -hmm. that person. Yep. That's just me. That's because I'm a mean person. That's just how you roll. That's how I roll. Uh, the pipes of the sewer are around here, too. I, I don't remember if they're in this room. They're in one of the rooms up here. And those are a fun magic item because you can utilize them like the Pied Piper to uh, summon and control rats. Right. And guess where you're going in the next part of the adventure? In the sewer. Into the sewers. So another one of the rooms up here uh, that I wanted to throw down is that... Uh, the Duke study has a suit of armor in it. That's a helmed horror. Mm -hmm. Helmed horrors are nasty. Yeah, they they have been known to kill a character or two. There are there are four monster um, with for third level characters, so it's not unheard of. But they're tough. I mean, their AC is twenty. They yep. they have damage uh, resistance to non magical attacks that aren't like ad adamantine. <laughs> yep, and then all sorts of damage immunities and condition immunities and. Yeah, that that would be pretty a pretty rough fight. And they don't hit like with they they don't exactly they get two attacks, so they they're not exactly wusses, right? Uh, that is correct. 
and they uh, they can fly just in case, and they have blind sight. So if you're trying to sneak around, uh, not so much. Yeah. So as soon as like this thing starts fighting, like it should just take off into the air and beat on people that way. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be how I would roll with it because that's more terrifying. Right? It's always scarier when things can fly at you. Yes. Um, and then there's the tower. So this is uh, 19, and there's a couple of prisoners up here and there's also some invisible imps because you know got to have more imps more imps all the time right mm-hmm. and these people they just want I, I like that they're broken and they just want to get out of the city yes and and at this point what i thought was you know what what if the characters want to bring her to justice right bring the duke to justice rather than kill her um here are some witnesses, right? Here, here, mm-hmm. are, here are some people that can um, witness her despicable nature and the crimes that she's done. Uh, I just, I wish there had been a section there that talked about that. Or well, let's talk. Let's talk about it for a second. Okay. These people want to leave. Yes, they do. Um, and I would think that if you wanted to play that out, like we want to bring her to justice and not have her, uh, not have her just dead, mm-hmm. then. They could be very useful witnesses, but you have to convince them to stay. Right? Precisely. Um, yeah, I just I, I don't even know if it would be something that's doable because right now she right. She's she's the most powerful of the remaining dukes. It's true. She has leverage over many people in the in the city. So I don't even know if you could. Um, It's just an interesting it the, would just change. It would change the game. Yeah. Oh, for sure it would. Which is fine because there's a thing that happens after this that would allow it to be a possibility, right. and that's when uh, Portier yep. shows up. When she comes back to when yeah. she comes back, that would change everything mm-hmm. because she is a very she'll be a very powerful figure and take over the flaming fist. You can just have her take over the flaming fist. Right. It's it's kind of outside the scope of the adventure book, right? But you, if you wanted to have that in there, there's a way to do it. Like you just have to. Um, so here's what you need. You need to have a, a, a game in the, inside of the game where it's like we need to amass enough evidence mm-hmm. that it, it doesn't matter how much power she has mm-hmm. uh, and how much influence she has that the people that she has influence over um, can't do anything about it right. or are going to flip on her because they're like, well, we'll just scoop up her pieces of power. Yeah. It, it, it's just a small thing that I would have liked to have seen added. Which yeah, except is, it's like a it's like a twenty page thing. Well, it doesn't maybe nec- it doesn't maybe nec- even a four page. thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be very much other than you can just say there's no you know there's no way that she would ever be uh, tried in in this town. She's too powerful, so don't even think about it. Or this is what happens if they would like to do it. Here are some, you know, here is a bullet point list of five things and how it might change the way the adventure goes. You know, yeah, that would be that would be fascinating. That sort of thing. And hey, any, any DM? Hey, hey, yeah, DM skilled, right? Yeah, I was gonna say, hey, DM skilled. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I just didn't see anything mentioned about it, and it's a place that many people's mind would immediately go. I hope. Otherwise, my mind works differently than everyone's. Uh, it didn't occur to me. Okay, well, I guess that's that then. Um, although, you know, because uh, honestly, I was like, just murder the terrible mm. person. But I'm in, like, revolution mode anyway, okay. so, you know. Over, <laughs> like, o- like Overthrow everything. Yeah, overthrow everything. It's it's cool. Like, I get it. Like, that that would probably be better. I mean, it would be better to imprison, to make an example of, right? Mm. All right, so now we're going to go into the sewers, because, you know, the sewers. Why not, right? Because that's where the action is. So I like that the Duke keeps the place clean and smelling well by having cultists use sensors with incense in them. Mm-hmm. And she's a warlock, which is great because it makes perfect sense to me. Oh, yeah, obviously she's a devil worshiping fiend. So why not? Mm-hmm. Also, you're going to advance the characters to fourth level before entering the sewer dungeon, mm-hmm. which seems wise to me. Yes. So, like, how many times do we see in D&D instant level up? In these adventures. Um, well, we're seeing it a lot now. I can tell you that. Yeah? Is that a thing that's going on? It seems to be because, uh, yeah, all of this tracking experience and training and, and that sort of thing. Um, 
I can tell you it's getting less and less prevalent in not just, you know, adventures that I'm seeing, but also in the minds of developers and, and creators. I find it interesting that it seems like the design philosophy for these for some of this stuff is trending towards um, a little bit towards video game ideology, mm-hmm. which is fine. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I played tons and tons of JRPGs, so it doesn't bother me at all. Right. <laughs> and what I've also seen is it's it's tending away from the character narrative toward the story narrative. Right. It's not about how did your character go from level three to four? What did they have to do? Who was their mentor as they took a level of rogue, even though they were ranger for the first three levels? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. To, we're more concerned with this. What's the next beat of the story? Exactly. Uh, like, yeah, we just went from upstairs. Now we're going into the sewers and you're going to level up because that's going to raise our, our attention and the stakes of the situation. Like yep. this is this is not the same adventure. This is the next more dangerous part of the adventure. Sure. I mean, that to me, that's what the design screams. Yeah, it obviously it absolutely does. Yeah. All right. So we get down into the into the basement and there are sewer tunnels. And the sewer tunnels, um, there's no information on how to handle the wandering encounter with the cultists because there's cultists that wander around with that incense. Mm -hmm. So to me, you're left with the choice of how to figure that out yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of ideas is like you can just choose when you want them to show up to break up the monotony of uh, searching around this place. Mm -hmm. Or you can just roll a D6 after area has been explored. On a one, they show up. Yep. That's old school, right? That that is. Uh, Or if the characters are having trouble exploring and they need... Um, a, an outfit to trick everyone else to thinking they are the cultists, then that's when they show up. Yep, that's a good idea. Um, so uh, there's a cold storage area. Mm-hmm. There's boar meat that are that's hanging on there, like giant boars just hanging on there. I think that's interesting because the players might be able to use that for something inventive because, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a thing that happens. And like you mentioned, there's a nice little sidebar not too long after that about disguise characters. Yes. Um, and then, so this is not laid out in order of what I would consider like the last, the last encounter of it's like probably the most important one. There's a vault, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's not like a, a flow to the way that it's laid out in the book. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely not like a linear dungeon where you go through and you get your story, you know, told beat by beat by beat. It's all over the place. Yeah. It's all over. And that's okay. That's kind of sure. neat. Cause now you have like a little web map of dungeon to explore. And it looks like a web map. If you actually look at it, Mm-hmm. And, and there's multiple paths. So the Temple of Zeriel. Now, this is a deadly encounter for five fourth level PCs, regardless of if all the cultists are present or not, mm-hmm. because the temple has a uh, oh, what devil's there? There's a there's a nasty devil in bearded. There. Um, what a bearded a barbed devil. A barbed devil. Okay. Yeah, named Odious. Mm-hmm. Oh right, right. Yep. And there is either two or four cultists in there. If you killed the cultists in the uh, hallway mm-hmm. then they're not there if you killed if you didn't then they're in there so that's either way it's still a deadly encounter yes uh, barb devils aren't exactly pleasant but you know you can kill it it's not it's not un- unbelievably unkillable mm-hmm. um the statue they mentioned there i was confused for a second i was it like a special statue or is that how all statues are because i never see the um thing saying like it's got an ac 1733 hit points and immunity to fire poison and psychic damage like that just sounds like statue Stats. What? what which uh, room are you in? The, uh, the temple. The temple. Because there's a there's a statue of Zeriel in her angelic form. Right. Which uh, I just thought it was interesting because they put the immunity to fire poison psychic damage instead of just letting us assume that it was immune to all that stuff. Yep. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I it just caught me, you know. Yeah. But it might be because there's treasure inside of it. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Yeah. So like, if there's a fireball. And, you know, it doesn't blow up the statue, right? Because it's fire damage. Right. So that's probably why it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a secret shine that I didn't write in here, which I probably should have. That's V28. Mm-hmm. And that's where Thalamara Van Thamper is. Right. So she's hanging out there and she will freaking run away uh, rather than surrender. She'll, she's not going to surrender. That She actually says, they actually mm-hmm. say that right there. She's like, she'd rather be... She'd rather die than those things. So maybe that's that's your reasoning right there for why um, they didn't have it in the in the game. The mm-hmm. idea of her being brought to justice. True. I mean, I like the idea of her instead of letting 
the player characters. This is going to sound a little dark to me, and this might be a little dark to everybody else out there. So, uh, trigger warning right here. Um, like if she's about to die or she's about to be knocked unconscious or whatever, she should just kill herself. Yeah. Because her dying words are see you in hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how dramatically appropriate would it be if she said that and then, you know, stabbed herself or blasted herself with an eldritch blast. It makes perfect. I mean, the way she's described, right? She happily watches any of her sons die. Uh huh. I mean, it's it's she's a pretty gruesome figure. So, and she is proud to a fault. Yep. So you know, I mean, that's a that's a pretty dark way to go. But this isn't exactly a happy-go-lucky adventure. No. All right. Um. So that's her. After that, we have the prison, and mm-hmm. the prison's a pretty important room, actually. Very important. So there's a bearded devil in here that's the guard. His name is Thos. I like that the devils all have names. It's, it's mm-hmm. always good. Mm-hmm. I like when devils have names. So there's Philaster Fisk and Satir Theon Hoon. So Philaster Fisk is important because uh, this is a man from Kalimchan. Uh He is a spy and he works for Silvera Savakis, which is a tiefling expert on the Nine Hells, mm-hmm. on a candle keep. And... Philaster's job, his his purpose in here was to find out what was going on with um uh Threg or Thravis Krieg. Yeah. So and then he got caught. Mm-hmm. But he's got a bunch of good information to tell you, and he's the person that's gonna point you to uh Candlekeep. Yes. Because his boss, uh Silvira, is the one who can tell the characters what all these things that they're finding in this uh in this location mean and where they're going to go from there. Mm-hmm. And if you need a little bit of greed to motivate, uh, this person will also tell the characters that Silvira will open the box and pay for it in gold or magic items. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, good motivating factor right there. If you have that kind of character, if, if you just for good, then there's also for good. Like she thinks that there's a contract in the box with Krieg mm-hmm. and devils. Yep. So there's that too. And she's not wrong. And she's not wrong. Um, Satir Theon Hoon is interesting because this is our, as the game master, the person reading this book, our introduction to the Knights of the Shield, mm-hmm. which is an organization that is very much interested in the Shield of the Hidden Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's going to lie to the characters about why she's here. Right. And so, if she learns that they have this, um, which she probably will. Then they are going to feel her wrath later in the adventure. Uh-huh. There's a nice little sidebar for a TPK scenario because this is a prison and there's more cells here. So they could be uh, knocked out and mm-hmm. brought here instead of just killed outright. Yep. That's always fun, right? They run the prison break. The old TPKO. TPKO. T- total, total party knockout. <laughs> total party knockout. Yep. I thought you were going to say technical knockout. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I mean, it's and it is a, a great place. There's lots of room in these prison in the prison down here for them to escape and and continue their adventure. All right, uh, we're almost done. We're getting towards the end of this now. Yep. So there's a uh, rooms 31 through 34. This is where the cultists they they hang out. There, this is their area. Mm-hmm. So there's a vestry where the PCs can get disguises and dress up as cultists with their gold masks and their robes. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the cultist quarters, which has 10 cultists and two fanatics hanging out there. Uh, the 10 cultists could be reduced based on people that were killed in the hallways. Sure. Or that were killed in the, uh, in the ritual chamber, not the ritual chamber, the, uh, the, the chapel, mm-hmm. the temple, the temple, temple's yep. the right word. Um, and there's a ritual chamber that's behind some secret doors. But to me, this is an excellent example of how to show presenting a spell with flavor. Yep. Did you read this one? I did. They can cast a divination spell using this ritual chamber, although rather than just getting the information from a deity, a devil appears as a pillar of smoke from this, the floor uh, carving, the floor symbol, and uh-huh. then they can use the divination spell. Yeah, it's neat. I really like it. It is cool. That is that is the thing that you should be thinking about and trying to do sometimes when you're uh, trying to figure out how to flavor your spells without like changing the actual function of spells. Mm-hmm. That's a true reskinning right there. Yep. All right. So then 35 is three, uh, three of his creeks quarters. He's not in there. There's some gold in there. There's a bunch of rooms down here that don't have a lot, but they have stuff in them. Yep. There's a lot of, there's a lot of treasure to pick up yep. down here. If you have a party that's big on exploration, um, you know, you can have them go through all of these rooms and they'll find things and it'll be neat. 
Um, you could ha- throw some wandering cultists in. If you're just into the role playing and combat part, you can kind of move through these quickly and then get to the the meat of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, the vault. Uh, the key for the vault is on the Duke's belt. Mm-hmm. So you can't really get into the vault without the key. Yep. Once you get into the vault, three of his creek is in here, and he's been chatting with the the hidden lord of the shield of the hidden lord. Yep. Which is uh, Gargoth, a fiend imprisoned in the shield. Uh, it's a pit fiend, actually. Yeah, pit fiend, yeah. He's yeah. not messing around. No, not messing around. And uh, Gargoth, all Gargoth wants to do is go back to the Nine Hells because he thinks that's where he can get out of the stupid shield. Yep. But he's he's mistaken, but he doesn't know that. And that's, the players yeah. won't know that if they talk to him. Uh-huh. There's a lot of like people that think things in this that are wrong, which mm-hmm. is great. Like You don't see that a lot in, in, in yeah. games. I really do like that. Yeah, me too. Everybody thinks they know what's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen when they think it's going to happen, and, and then things happen from that. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, you just have to be careful not to let your your players get um, upset, right? If If they're the type of player who wants to know what's going on. They don't like to have these kind of red herrings or or things go not quite according to plan. Um, you may need to massage things a little bit. Oh, that's tricky because this 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 particular adventure is all about that. Yeah, I know. That's that's why I'm pointing that out now is to try to kind of manage expectations along those lines and um, maybe not that you should give them everything, but just don't have... As much, you know, character saying, oh, I know this is going to the NPC say, oh, I know this is going to happen and then have it not happen, especially if the players have, like, helped that person get to that point thinking that the thing is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Just just manage those expectations as best you can. As best you can, because there's so this adventure, everybody seems to lie to everybody. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of chances to make deals. Yep. There's also. Um, a lot of people that lie to themselves. True. That's that's part of the theme. As you say, that unity of effect is very strong with that in, mm-hmm. this, in this adventure. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a hell based adventure with all sorts of evil, and that this shows it right. It shows it in pretty much every character how they are not necessarily good, and they are heading toward a bad end because of it. Yeah, absolutely. So Krieg, um. He lost his powers to cast spells because he is, you know, abandoned mm-hmm. his faith. Mm-hmm. So he used to be a priest of Torm. Um, to go along with that and what he did to Elterguard, he's got this shadow that mm-hmm. looks like a squat little fat demon mm-hmm. or devil, I should say, because demons are something different mm-hmm. in this, in this uh, you know, existence. Mm-hmm. And that's really fun because he'll lie. He'll lie. He'll lie. He'll lie. And he'll lie some more. And he'll even mm-hmm. shed tears for Elterell and everything. But, man, none of this stuff stands up to scrutiny at all. Right. And he sort of knows that he has no power, so he's not going to pull out a weapon and, and fight, right? That's not how he rolls. He he's he's no worse than a, than a common thug at this point. Uh, no no stronger than a common thug. So you don't want this to turn into a combat, right? Mm-hmm. You want to role play this as long and hard as you can. And more so, if Rhea Mantlemorn is there, mm-hmm. she won't let them kill him. Exactly, because he is the leader of her city. Yeah, and right. she is in awe of seeing him. Mm-hmm. So a- until he confesses, which you can force him to confess. Right. Uh, uh, there's a couple of ways that they mentioned, like a DC 15 charisma check or proving that he's lost his spellcasting abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, th- this is the one that you can bring to justice if you want, I think. Right. But you know, what I would I here Here's my question, right? What if the characters believe him? They see his, you know, he says, I've lost my power. Uh, he can give a t- thousand reasons why. Oh, my shadow. Oh, I'm cursed. Um, you know, I stood up to the d- devils and they cursed me and now I'm like this. Um, what do they do with him? I don't know. I wish it had given a box, uh, a sidebar with what if he, what if they go, what if he goes with them to uh, Candlekeep? I don't think he would go with them. Okay. Why would he do that? Because it it def- it beats getting killed. Well, no, I mean like if they if they're going to let him go, 
Right. Like if they believe him, they're just going to let him go. Why would he go anywhere? With yeah, them? I don't think they... they would let him go though. Oh well, right. Then just then drag him along. Like right. it's time if... to imp- it's time to improvise after yeah. that, right? Yep. Yeah. And because and, I could see that happening with some groups. Yeah, sure. And then he could run off with the shield at some point if they want if 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 we wanted him to. Yeah. So I mean that's that's another option if your characters believe him for some reason. Yeah. So I mean, uh, if they drag him along, they make him come as a prisoner or whatever. Uh, like he's just there. Like, yep. I mean, eventually you'll go to hell, and then you know he thinks he's got friends in hell, and then he could come to a terrible end there. Yeah, he's going to come to a terrible end at some point, no matter what. Probably. Yeah. I mean, we assume it's here, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing else about him unless he's dead in hell. Right. So there's that. Uh, okay. That's, those are interesting things to think about, though, mm-hmm. Sean. I'm glad yeah. that you're bringing up these points. It, it's now making my head like wonder. Like Those are things that I wouldn't think about until it happened. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, let's play with that, right? Yeah, let's, let's, to, see where, let's see where this goes. Yeah, let's see where this goes. Uh, all right. So that's the last part of the dungeon. Like, it's not like a big climactic they don't have like a big climactic battle here it's just kind of like moving around doing all these different things to collect the the MacGuffins that you need to go on to the next part of the adventure mm-hmm. and the MacGuffins are items and information yep so there's some information for what happens if the PCs don't get the infernal puzzle box or the shield of the hidden lord mm-hmm. and it's essentially that Rhea or Philaster will suggest searching the estate more um, also Rhea and Philaster can join the party mm-hmm and we have these nifty companion rules these days. Yep. So that would work. It would. Uh, all, also, um, if you have slobber chops as a friend now, also another companion, by the way, mm-hmm. just throwing that out there. There's, well, there's ways to get NPCs in your party if you want. Yes, there is. And we have better rules for it, I think, these days. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of neat. True. Um, the slobber chops can lead the characters to the puzzle, puzzle box. Yep. So that's a pretty slick, if yep. you ask me. Yep. So basically you need... At least the puzzle box, if not the shield, moving forward as uh, Falister asks you, hey, let's go talk to my boss because she can help us. Mm-hmm. All right. So last thing, you're going to go back and you're going to report to Captain Zodge. Mm-hmm. I, I would suggest doing that because otherwise he's going to come hunt you down at some point. True. Once you do that, you surrender your flaming fist badges. You receive any payment owed. And uh, he's pretty happy that the Van Thampers are no longer a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anybody got away, he promises to hunt them down and kill them, which is also useful. But at this point, it triggers an event. Mm-hmm. Once again, video game design right here, right? Talk to talk to Zaj, trigger an event. The um, Commander Portier mm-hmm. shows up. Commander Portier is not supposed to be here for like a ten, like another ten day, mm-hmm. but using magic, she shows up, and Liara—that's her first name. Mm-hmm. Her uh, her uncle is, you know, Duke Dillard Portier, and she's also good friends with uh, older Ravenguard, and she's kind of upset that he's gone, and she's like, well, if you have a way to go and maybe save Elterguard and Duke Elder Ravenguard, go go do that, please. Mm-hmm. Like, she'll, she'll be the person that pushes them towards the next part of the adventure, because yep. the thing that I asked after the, they got this was like, why do I care as a character? Mm-hmm. And this is a good reason to care as a character. Right. You have another person who is ostensibly good, who is asking you to save the day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, promising. You can also use her to promise more f- rewards. Right? right. Because she is now going to take over the Flaming Fist. So she has some pretty decent power in the city now. Mm-hmm. So you have you can you can uh, offer favors, uh, money, mm-hmm. magic items. Yep. And she can also give you a mule-drawn cart laden with food, drink, and other supplies for your for your journey. Yeah, I would I would do it for just that. Mm-hmm. Plus, you already have the uh, if you have Philaster, the hook of bring the puzzle box mm-hmm. to Candlekeep, get money and magic items. Yep. So there you go. Yep. There, there's a good trail now once you get those those items and rescue Philaster. Yep, but it's always good to have a backup way mm-hmm. to motivate characters. Very true. Well, that's a that's part three, right? That is part three of our show. We only have one more section to talk about in chapter one, and that is Candlekeep and then going to Avernus, and we will talk about that next time. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's do some Patreon shout-outs real quick. 
So, um, Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice. By the way, thank you all so much for being our patrons. We greatly appreciate it. It really uh, helps keep us doing the show. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I swear to you, it really does. Uh, Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic, Christopher Gray, the Spy Master of MMP, Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness, and the only person who will ever have two titles. Mm-hmm. GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show, Jared Rasher, the Scribe of MMP, Jesse Edmund, the Royal Doctor. Jim's like... Jim likes games. The Royal Merchant. If you're going to be at Metatopia, enjoy because Jim likes games. Will be there with games. John C. LeMay, the guard at the end of the world. He's very lonely, Sean. Mm, at the end of the world, no. Yeah, maybe we should send like another guard out there to hang out with. Then, him. then there'd be two guards at the end of the world. That that's true. I mean, mm. we can have the guard at the end of the world and the guard just before the end of the world. Yeah, within shouting distance at the end. Within of the world. shouting. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Uh, John Carney, the court necromancer. Kevin Lovecraft, the royal beard. Merrick Blackman, the royal D&D reviewer. Mike Dinos, the inquisitor of Mark. P.K. Sullivan, the queen's royal rocketeer. Richard Wyatt, the captain of the royal airship fleet. Rob Abrazado, the gauntlet of the queen. Schmitty, the keeper of the labyrinth. Toby Sennett, the baron of Britannia. Todd Crapper, the prophet of probability. And Craig, the lord of one name. Mm-hmm. And speaking of patrons, yeah, he's only got that one name for the longest time, by the way. That's true. Uh, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Dallas D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page, and just for, like, $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out like you just heard. Well, maybe not like you just heard, those are the $10 patrons, but, like, a shout-out with your name and everything. Yeah, and I I talked to several of these people at GameholeCon, and I appreciate them uh, coming up and, and introducing themselves. So, like, Eileen and Eric and Jared and uh, Kevin and, and uh, who else was there? Uh, yeah, those four at least, uh, and, and maybe Brand- more. Brandon Barnes? Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Um yes, they they were all there. We said hi, we had a chat. It was great meeting you. And so for $4 a month, you would not only get a shout out like that, but you also get to see our show notes which have some good stuff and some links and you also get access to our Slack room where you can chat with us whenever you so choose. Mhm, we're there. You know, if you can't help us monetarily but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple podcast review, with a share on social media, like any of those things, right, Sean? Absolutely, because that would help spread the gospel of Down with the Indian. That's what we want to hear. Absolutely. Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can go to the forums where we can discuss things. That's forums.misdirectedmark.com. How about mm-hmm. you, Chris? I'm at the light 101. You can also hit at misdirectedmark. Those are both on Twitter. You can also go to the website. You know, there's also our new Twitch channel. That's that's always a fun place. Um, the Twitch channel doesn't have this show, but it's got other shows. And you can hit up our YouTube page, which does have this show and other great shows, such as Bonestone and Obsidian, where Wayne and Robert take monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill a metric ton of imps. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? I was hoping you were going to say that. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they sting you.